as well. And as we open your word this morning, pray that you would speak to us. Uh, God, you are our God. You are our light. You are our hope. You are our rock. God, you are our shield in times of trouble. And God, we pray that your spirit might build into us. Uh, God, I pray that you would speak into whatever situation, God, we are dealing with this week. Uh, God, whatever uh, thing in our lives, God, that you want to twist or change or grow, uh, God, I pray that your love uh, might be at work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to talk about God and pleasure today. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard the uh, term killjoy before, but I don't know if you can read the definition from there, but it's a person who deliberately spoils the enjoyment of others through resentful or overly sober behavior. And some of the words are like a wet blanket or a spoil sport or a party pooper and, and those kinds of things. And, and some people think that God is a killjoy, that he is somehow against us enjoying life. He is against having fun. He is against happiness that... Uh, somehow, if you really want to uh, dedicate your life to God, that you need to give up all pleasures. And, and he just wants to make your life really kind of miserable. And you got to walk around like you're sucking on sour lemons all the time. And, and, and there are some people who are just actually afraid of God for that reason. Because, uh, you know, I actually really enjoy my life and I just don't want God to mess with it. I don't, want, I don't want God getting in the way of me really having fun and enjoying life. Uh is God against pleasure? That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, how does pleasure work into God and His ways and His will? And even talking about the word pleasure sometimes makes certain religious people just uncomfortable, that word. Because even the word, like, we have, like, sinful pleasure and, and guilty pleasure and those kinds of words. But, I mean, there's a sense that God is actually the author of, of pleasure. I mean, there's a reason food tastes so good. There's a reason why a back massage feels amazing. There's, there's a reason why, you know, parts of your body feel good or sex feels good or those kind of things. I mean, God created all that. I mean, pleasure is not uh, just all of a sudden just anti-God. In fact, God is the creator in many ways. Sometimes we only see two options. Uh, we see there's the religious option or there's just... I'm going to have lots of fun options. They're like kind of the only two options maybe we have in life. That Again, that if I want to dedicate my life to God, then I need to, I have to give up all pleasures. That I need to, you know, try to work hard and everybody's favorite verse becomes, you know, I need to deny myself and take up the cross and follow Jesus, which is a true verse and we're to do. But for some people, that's the only verse they know because they just think uh, that God is against enjoying life. And then they have contests between other people who can suffer more and be more miserable because the more miserable you are, the more somehow godly you are. Uh, and then there's people who rebel against that and they kind of move into what is known as hedonism, which is basically that, that pleasure is the ultimate goal of the universe. Uh, that I just live for pleasure. In fact, maybe you have seen this. This was the British Humanist Society a couple years ago had this bus ad in Europe and, and they made t-shirts and bus ads, but it said this. Uh, There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And what they're getting at is that somehow God is against you enjoying your life. 
If somehow God is against you having any kind of pleasure, and God just wants to make you miserable, so stop worrying about God trying to take it away, and just, just go hedonistic. I mean, but is God really against pleasure? Is God against us enjoying life? Is God against us having fun? The definition of pleasure, if you look at the dictionary, is simply a feeling of happiness, enjoyment, or satisfaction. A feeling of happiness, enjoyment, or satisfaction. Now, when you understand who God is, and we see who God is in Psalm 103, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. That God is actually the most loving being in the universe. Uh, he is love. The very definition of God is love. He's not like 90% love and like 10% this harsh, angry person. He's 100% love. Everything he does is loving. Even his discipline and, and when he comes in and his commands, they're, they're all, he is a loving, perfect God. Now, when you think about love and just general human nature, I mean, when do we tend to be the most happy in life? When are we like over the moon? When are we just experiencing the greatest pleasure? It's often when we are in love. It has to do with love. I mean, you get the movies when the person is jumping around because, you know, they're in love. I mean, but there is no greater love story than God loving us and us loving God. I mean, the very definition of who, who God is, the very fabric of this universe is giving and receiving love. And that is actually what gives us the most pleasure. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now that verse, think about the definition, a feeling of happiness, enjoyment, or satisfaction does, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Does that, does that sound pleasurable? Does that sound happy? Does it sound like, I should enjoy that. Yes, of course. I mean, the very presence of God is filled with eternal pleasures. It is the most enjoying thing possible to be in the very presence of a completely, absolutely loving, beautiful, holy God. We see that God is definitely not against joy. In fact, uh, all over the Bible, joy is actually commanded. I mean, he's so serious about us enjoying and being joyful. He commands, in fact, in, even in the Old Testament, God actually designed feasts or parties that his people were to go to. And we see in Deuteronomy 16, for instance, uh, there are commands to celebrate. Uh, be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widow who live in your town. So everybody was to come to this party to enjoy themselves at this festival. For seven days, celebrate the feast to the Lord, your God, at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands. And your joy will be complete. I mean, God designed this festival, asked them to come out for seven days and to be joyful because he... It's trying to make these people to a place that, that their, their joy is complete. And this is what God wants for us, our joy to be complete in our lives. We see even in revival that joy is a part of revival. Uh, sometimes we think of revival only as uh, 
crying and tears and, and mourning, and, and that's a part of it sometimes. Uh, sometimes God wrecks us. Sometimes God breaks us uh, because of our sin. But there is also a time for joy, a time for laughter. I mean, sometimes people, when people are crying in church, they say, well, that's a great thing. But if someone laughs in church, they're like, oh, I mean, again, this is idea that somehow God is against joy, uh, pleasure, or happiness. I mean, check out this revival. This is a revival in Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. It says, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. So you better be sore sorry, and you better be crying, and you better be... In ashes. It's not what he says in this case. Now, maybe there's a time for weeping and, and, and that kind of thing, but there's also a time for joy. Uh, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. <laughs> so he says, do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Because you get a love, part of being uh, filled with joy is to love people. This day is sacred to the Lord, so do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. One of the strengths in life is the joy of the Lord. Man, because when you are discouraged, and when you are down, and you are depressed, it's really hard to do anything. You just got, you have no motivation, and, but I tell you, when you are filled with joy, Man, you can conquer the world. And God has called us to be people who do stuff for the kingdom, who uh, love people and love Jesus, and it requires the strength of joy, and that joy comes from God. God is not against joy. He is not against happiness. He is not against pleasure because in the, it's the joy of the Lord that gives us strength. I don't know if you've ever looked at pictures of Jesus, but it's actually hard to find a picture of Jesus where he looked happy. Especially, at least in religious art, you type in Jesus, and he's usually not smiling or sad. Uh, and it's true, the Bible says he's a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus being a man of sorrows. I mean, he died on the cross. But you know, even on the cross, Hebrew says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That Jesus actually was the most happy being ever, because God is the most happy being in this universe. And and I don't think Jesus mostly walked around like that. I don't, I don't really don't think so. I mean, Luke 10, it says Jesus, full of joy. And the word full in the Greek here actually is the same as we would say, jumping for joy. Jesus is jumping for joy in this case. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit. John 15, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, talking about his word. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Now, if Jesus was not happy, he was not enjoying life, he was against pleasure, and he was just not joyful and never smiled, then what joy would he have to give, to, give us? You know, uh, these things I have spoken to you so my sadness can be part of you. No, it's, it's my joy may be in you. Uh, we see little children flocking to Jesus. Little kids don't run to people who are miserable. They don't. They run to people who are happy and joyful. And that's why they love George, right? <laughs> uh, they, they flock they, they, because they run. And it was the disciples who were trying to push the kids away. But they saw something to Jesus because 
I mean, I believe he was just joyful most of the time. Uh, Matthew 11, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is what the religious people were saying. Because the Pharisees in those days were, in the most part, against pleasure and against enjoying life. Especially, you don't have a party with sinners. And yet, Jesus was eating and drinking and hanging out with people who are far from God. I mean, he, he was very joyful. And I think, at least when I picture Jesus in my mind, I picture him more like this. And you can find a couple pictures. They're very hard to find. Of pictures of Jesus where he's actually joyful and smiling and, and happy. I mean, obviously, there were times when, when Jesus lived out being the man of sorrows. But, I mean, there's even this joy in, in the struggles of life that, that Jesus would have had. And I think he walked around much more with a smile than with not. I mean, even Jesus, the one that we are to model after, is a Jesus of, of joy. We see Galatians chapter 5. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is depression. sackcloth and ashes no it's three things that bring us the most pleasure in life love joy peace joy is actually the, the second thing that god gives us love because it, love makes us more joyful and filled with pleasure than anything else in this world and joy this is part of living as a follower of jesus is to be a person of joy to be known for being a joyful person because this is what god wants to see in our life psalm 118 tells us that even every day we're to be rejoicing this is the day that the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad this is a command now i can spend the rest of this message looking at all the different ways god commands us to be joyful and it's a command that he helps us with because it's a fruit of the spirit that it should be the closer you get to God, the more of a joyful person you become. And sadly, there are some who twist it. It seems the closer they get to God, the more miserable they become. And they suck everybody down like them, like the Pharisees, that, you know, their converts become twice as much of a son of hell as they do, as, as Jesus said. I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That God actually blesses us with things for our enjoyment. That's what the Word of God says. That again, God does want us to enjoy life. He is not against pleasure. He is very much for joy. But you're like, okay, where's the but? And here's the but. You see, even in this own text, there's some boundaries around this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with all enjoyment. God designed pleasure. God designed joy. God designed happiness. And he's, he knows how it, how it works. And here's the sort of axiom, if you will, that we're going to talk about for the rest of this time. The more we pursue pleasure on our own terms, the less we will have. When we experience pleasure on God's terms, we actually experience more of it. The more you try to pursue pleasure on your own terms, you will actually become less and less satisfied and experience less and less pleasure. The more you do it the way God designed it, the more you actually experience. You actually grow in it. 
And we see this written in life and all over the world. Again, we go back to the very Garden of Eden. This perfect world. Do you think the Garden of Eden was pleasurable? Oh, yeah. I mean, man and woman were naked. I mean, uh, perfect. It was awesome, right? <laughs> Animals around, and it was beautiful. There was no sin. Uh, it was perfect. The most pleasurable world you could ever imagine. Because, again, the most pleasurable thing is love. And they had perfect love relations with God, able to give and receive love with God, able to give and receive love with, the, with each other with no shame. That's why they were naked and unashamed. There was no shame between them. Enjoyment, pleasure, it was beautiful. But in that perfect, pleasurable, beautiful world, God put boundaries. And the boundary was, you can enjoy life, you can have as much pleasure as you want, this is awesome, give and receive love with each other, give and receive love with me, but do not eat... And I think I got the verse here. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. They were experiencing pleasure 100%. There was a boundary. Now, was that boundary to rob them of pleasure? No, it was to keep that pleasure at 100%. And this is what we've got to realize, that God's ways are to keep our pleasure beautiful and he puts boundaries yes he does but it's to keep us in the state of enjoyment and and joy and so he puts this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it's kind of weird Do you ever ever wonder why it was called the knowledge of good and evil because you kind of think that's a good thing right knowing good and evil isn't that the kind of what all religious teachers try to teach and i try to teach you what's good and what's bad i mean why was it a bad thing you can eat anything but you can't eat from the knowledge of good and evil and one of the reasons is, is because this was knowledge of good and evil without God. In other words, I can decide what is good and evil without God. I can decide what is pleasurable. I can decide morality. I can decide what's going to really give me pleasure and joy in life. I don't need God. That's what the idea of the, the knowledge of good and evil, that I can know what is good and evil for myself without a God. Now, we know what happened. Satan comes in and tempts them. Said, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Now notice this, who was with her. This idea of Satan tempting Eve and she was all alone and, you know, Adam was innocent. No, 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 no. Adam was right there the whole time. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. They had 100% enjoyment, 100% pleasurable place. There was this boundary God put up to keep them in this joy and pleasure. And yet Satan comes in and tries to convince them that actually they don't have 100% pleasure. That actually there's something more pleasurable. If you just knew good and evil, if you could just escape God, if somehow you could stop worrying about God and enjoy your life, like those bus signs, same lie Satan told, that somehow there's going to be greater pleasure. And notice... It was actually quite pleasurable when she and Adam took this fruit. It was good for food, uh, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable. Like, it, it probably tasted amazing, too. It's just like, oh, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. Now, this is pleasure. And this is what happens with the lie of the enemy. He will prevent 
present things to you. It'll say, this is going to be really pleasurable. I know it's outside God's boundaries, but it's going to be really pleasurable and really, really worth it. Because actually, actually, you can decide what is good and evil. You don't need God. If this seems pleasurable to you, and if God says it's not, then it's going to be really pleasurable. Just do it. And, and I'm sure as they were eating, this is amazing. And in that moment, they may have actually said, this is worth it. This is totally worth it. But we know what happened. Uh, all of a sudden, death comes into the world. Sin comes into the world. Now, in the moment when they're eating that fruit, you ask them if it was worth it, they would have said yes. You ask them the next day. Now, was that worth it? Are you really experiencing joy now? Are you really experiencing pleasure now? They would have said, no way. I wish I could go back in time. And I tell you, we all have that same story. Man, it seems so good in the moment, so pleasing. I'm just gonna, I know God doesn't want this to be, but somehow I'm just convinced because it's the lie of the enemy that somehow I'm going to have more joy by doing this. And then comes shame and guilt and regret and broken relationships and injured marriages and hurt communities. And you just feel distant from God. It doesn't lead to pleasure. It doesn't lead to joy. It, it wrecks it. Again, the more we pursue pleasure on our own terms, the less we will have it. When we experience pleasure on God's terms, we will actually experience more of it. If Adam and Eve would have just believed God and followed His ways, they would have had this perfect pleasure forever. But it was when I can decide what is pleasurable for me. When I can decide what is right and wrong. And I'm just going to go for it. That is when you actually experience less and less pleasure in, in our lives. Hebrews puts it this way. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And here the Bible uses that word in a negative sense. It's used a lot in positive. But it talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's the same idea. To Adam and Eve, that fruit was amazing. Wow, this is great. But it's fleeting. Pornography. It's amazing in that moment, but it's fleeting. I mean, I'm going to dump my spouse for another spouse. It might be fleeting in that moment, but it always will lead to less and less pleasure. Because any time that we pull from God, because He is the source of joy, He's the source of life, the ultimate source of pleasure, whenever that becomes stretched or broken, it leads to less joy in our lives. We see this in John chapter 15. Jesus told this story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And that was, there was just wrong in that day. You wait until your father died, and then the estate would be divided. But he's like, I want pleasure now. I want my money now. I want to go for life. I just want to be a hedonist. I'm just wanna, I want to, because I know what is going to give me the most pleasure. I can decide what is right and wrong in my own world. And so not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And I am sure he enjoyed it for a moment. Because sin is always fun in the moment. Else he wouldn't do it. I mean, sometimes we don't think that way, but it's actually, you actually enjoy it. And it's a fleeting pleasure. I mean, th the fact is, I am never, ever, ever tempted to eat mushrooms. <laughs> never. Because... I just don't like eating mushrooms. But you put a nice piece of chocolate cheesecake or a, a burger in front of me, then I have a lot of temptation because I enjoy that. 
I mean, this is what sin, when Satan doesn't put things in front of us that we don't like, he puts things in front of us that we do like, trying to convince us that you will have more pleasure. And you may in the moment, but it will always lead to less. It will always lead to emptiness. It will always lead to brokenness. And this is what happened. I mean, he had all this money. He had wild living. And it's this, this, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill a stomach with the pods that were the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I mean, he had his life with the father. His father had everything for him, provided everything, but he was somehow convinced that I can decide what is right and wrong. I can decide what's going to give you the most pleasure. And he takes all this money, he goes out to this fleeting pleasure, and in the end, he wishes he could even just have something from the pig trough. I mean, the more you try to experience pleasure in your own ways, the less you will actually experience in the end. And this is what happens. And this is when he came to his senses. <laughs> and we all have those moments where we're like, why did I do that? I mean, I thought it was going to be fun or it was, seemed like a good idea in the moment, right? Or, uh, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is a picture of Father God. Because we're often in that story. When we decide... I think I know this is going to be more pleasurable than God's ways. And we try to decide what is right and wrong, our own morality. And we go down that path, and it leads to less pleasure. And we must never, ever let that keep us from God. I mean, sometimes there's this thing that, that in us, when we have sinned, when we have fallen, that, that, that we want to run from God. Just like Adam and Eve, we hide from God. It is in that moment you need to run to God. Because again, he is the source of our healing. He is the source of our forgiveness. He is the source of our strength. We will not find strength by isolating ourselves. I mean, Satan loves to isolate us so we can, so he can assassinate us. I mean, God is a loving God. He's always inviting us, come back home. Come back home where there is true joy. Come back home where there is true life in my presence. If you know Ravi Zacharias, he, uh, if you don't know him, you got to meet this guy. You can meet him on YouTube. He's awesome. Uh, Marina, I've actually met him, but he is one of the most uh, smartest guys in this world, maybe. I don't know. But he's just brilliant. He, he defends Christian faith. He has debates with all kinds of people in this world. But he was asked, uh, what is the greatest lie facing in today's culture? And if you were asked that question, what would you say? What's the greatest lie facing today's culture? It's a big question. And, and this is what he says. That pleasure alone can bring a person happiness. That pleasure alone can bring a person happiness. And then he goes on to say this. Pleasure without God, without the sacred boundaries, will actually leave you emptier than before. And this is a biblical truth. This is experimental truth. The loneliest people in the world are amongst the wealthiest and the most famous who found no boundaries within, within which to live. That is a fact I've seen again and again, and he is someone who hangs around billionaires and rich people. I mean, he's got a lot of influence, and he's just, I've seen this. 
But if you try to decide, I'm going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, decide what is right and wrong for me, and decide what is pleasurable and not for me, in the end, it will leave you empty. I mean, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. Is when you say, I dedicate my life to you, and I want to do life your way, that that is when pleasure and enjoyment and it just begins to build and to grow and to bubble up in, in your life. And it doesn't matter if you're living in New York City or in Hollywood or in the slums in, in Africa. Some of the most happy people are found there because they know the source. His name is Jesus. Solomon actually tried this. I mean, sometimes we, are, we just read that and say, well, I'd like to give it a try. I'd like to try it out for my own self to see if, if I had all these women and money and fame and fortune around me. I think I just maybe it wouldn't make those other people really happy, but it's going to make me happy. Well, Solomon tried that. He was a, one of the richest guys who ever lived on this planet. And Ecclesiastes is a whole book about what we're talking about today. Solomon saying, I'm going to try to find pleasure without God. Maybe it's possible. And it says, it says, I denied myself nothing. And, and you can read through the book. He didn't deny himself women. He had as many women as he wanted, as much money as he wanted, as much building projects as he wanted, as much wisdom, like all this stuff he had. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. A lot of people would say, man, that just sounds so pleasurable. That's like the ultimate of pleasure. That's the, that's the lie of our culture. That somehow this ultimate pleasure, just money, fame, fortune, and all these things without God is the most pleasurable way of living. It's actually very empty. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He just felt empty. And he, he just felt empty. And then at the end of the book, you can read through it maybe this week, he has this conclusion after trying all these things, exploring all this kind of pleasure, he says this. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. That the true source of meaning, purpose, and life, enjoyment, and pleasure is actually found, is found in God. And part of this is what we need is a radical trust in Jesus, that he is really good. Because part of the reason that we think that if I go outside God's boundaries, I'm actually really going to enjoy life is because we actually don't believe God is good. This is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They, again, we're living in a 100% perfectly pleasurable, beautiful, awesome world, the best you could ever possibly imagine. They had it all. But then Satan put a little lie in their heads. Actually, God is holding out on you. You can actually experience more pleasure if you just eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan is never wanting to add pleasure to your life, by the way. Jesus said Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I mean, anything outside of that, I, I mean, Satan say, just look at that internet setter. Or, you know, just look at that other woman. Or, you know, just, just spend that money on, you don't have to give any money away. Just spend it all on yourself. Those are all lies to kill, steal, and destroy. And, uh, and he made Adam and Eve doubt God's goodness. And whenever we think that I can just find pleasure outside of God's boundaries, we are in that moment doubting that God is actually good. And this is why this verse is super important, 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God. How do you know when you really know God's love? How do you know when you really love God? How do you know when He really loves you? To keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. 
The only reason someone would ever think that his commands are burdensome is if somehow those commands are robbing us of pleasure. That somehow he's, again, he wants your life to be miserable, so there's these commands to make your life suck. So you can become really religious, right? That's not why his commands are. I mean, Jesus was full of joy. He wants us to be full of joy. He wants us to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. When you understand that God is actually good, then you understand that the most joy I can possibly have in this world is when I'm walking in His Word, in His ways. It's what Jesus said in John 15, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Again, what is the most pleasurable thing in this world? It's when you're in love. And there's no one who loves you more than God. And if you keep my commands, it's not going to rob us of joy. It adds to our joy because we remain in his love. Just as I have kept my father's command and remain his love. And then he says this, I have told you this. What did he just tell us? If you keep my commands so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, living within God's boundaries is not a path away from pleasure. It's actually a path towards pleasure and joy. In fact, I think John Piper came up with this idea of Christian hedonism, because hedonism is, is this pursuit of pleasure is the ultimate, but he came up with this phrase called Christian hedonism, which is this. Uh, when we desire God with all our hearts, we will know pleasure beyond anything this world has to offer. Because the reality is, whether he's trying to suppress it or not, every single person on this planet wants to be happy. Just every single person wants to experience pleasure. Every single, it doesn't matter if you're Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, atheist, everybody wants to experience pleasure and happiness. And it just happens to be that Jesus is the source of that. We all make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. Christian hedonists want to make God their God by seeking after the greatest pleasure, pleasure in Him. Psalm 4 7 says this You give me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. It's true. Jesus gives us greater joy than any lie of the enemy, any pleasure that is outside God's bounds than we could ever imagine. And this is what David, this David lived, it's just like, I mean, there is so much joy in Jesus. And the reason is, is we were made for him. C.S. Lewis has this quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. In other words, sometimes we stop short. Because God really has put that desire for us to be happy and to seek pleasure in us. That's, that's a God thing. But we can't stop short. Sometimes we just think, well, this is all that life is. And, but I tell you, when you enter into the presence of God, you allow him to work in your life, all of a sudden you begin to realize what, what ultimate joy and pleasure actually is. I just finished uh, reading a book called Surfing for God. And it's a book on uh, discovering the divine desire behind sexual struggle. It's a book on pornography. And his whole point of the book was really interesting. That... Uh, people's desire to look at pornography is a desire for pleasure. It's a desire for this experience. But he says it's a desire that stops you short. In other words, people are wanting to be satisfied, wanting to experience enjoyment, wanting to seek pleasure, and that God has actually put that in us so that we might find Him. But sometimes we get off track and you find porn. 
It's a desire that is to point us to God because he is the one who gives us the most pleasure, the most enjoyment, the most freedom. So he said, like, stop spending time in these mud pits where you think there's joy. You, it's this, this desire for pleasure, desire that God has wired in us so that we might find him because that's who we were created for. This desire to be happy is not something we suppress. It's a desire that we, we funnel because it's found its fulfillment in God. Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, soul pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In other words, our soul is just crying out for God. And part of the way it's, it's manifested is in this desire for pleasure, this desire for happiness, this desire to joy. That's a calling out that there's something bigger, there's something greater, I, I, there's something that needs to fulfill me, and it's God. That's what your soul is crying out for. It's crying out to God. I mean, it says in Colossians that it is God or Jesus who actually all things have been created through him and for him. So we're actually created for God. And therefore, we try to live outside of God. It just leaves us empty. I mean, it's when we're living in the ways of God, in a love relationship with God, where we're giving and receiving love from God that we are fulfilled. Let me read one more text, then we're done. Psalm 55, or Isaiah 55. And this is a call of God, and a call of God in all of our lives today. Because all of us here, I guarantee you, we want happiness, we want joy. And the answer is God. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me here that your soul may live. This is, this is the living water. This is where you never go hungry, you never go thirsty. This is where our souls, they're just designed for God. And, uh, and this is where we just need to, to dive in and see what, and the in, interesting thing, and Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes, that you run after money, you run after sex, you run after all these things without God, they leave you empty. But when you do things like money, and sex and relationships God's way, those things actually become far more pleasurable. That just eating and drinking and hanging out with people and enjoying your spouse and hanging community and, and being able to make money and give money away, that all those things just have way more meaning and way more satisfaction and way more pleasure because, because God is in it. The more we pursue pleasure on our own desires and plans, the less we will experience. The more you do it God's way, the more you will experience. I'm going to invite the worship team up, and uh, as they come, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have created us and designed us and wired us together. God, we thank you that uh, we know our maker, and therefore we know who owns the instruction manual of our life, who, who knows how we're wired. God, you know what brings us the most pleasure. You know what brings us the most joy. And God, I thank you're a God who not hi doesn't hide from us. You're a God who just with open arms ready to receive us. God, I thank you that in your presence is the fullness of joy, the fullness of pleasure. And God, I thank you that we don't have to wait fully for that, that you are here. 
you're here right today. And God, if we open our hearts to you, you will, will never leave us nor forsake us. That your presence, which is the fullness of joy, is wherever we are. Because you are there. God, I pray we walk in that this week. And I pray you would instill joy in us. God, I pray if there's anyone struggling with depression or just defeatism or just down this week, God, that as we come to you and just honor you through worship, God, that you would instill joy in us. God, that the fruit of the Spirit would made, be made manifest and real in us. God, that we just experience that joy bubbling up in our hearts. God, for you are the fullness of joy. God, I pray as we picture you, maybe as we worship, that we picture Jesus with a smile on his face. And that that kind of joy is the kind of joy that he wants to work in our hearts. And so, God, we just want to honor you as we close this service. A time where we can just put our focus on you. God, a time where we can give and receive love from you. In Jesus' name, amen. This time I'm also going to invite the uh, prayer team. They'll be over there. If you uh, need prayer and uh, for any reason you need healing in your body, uh, we have a God who can do that. Uh, you can receive prayer for healing. If you have any just emotional struggles that God, you want God to touch, uh, maybe you don't even know why. Maybe God's just going to say, you know, you just need to go for prayer, and uh, you just need to go, and you're going to find out why. Uh, but we have a God who answers prayer, and we've seen some amazing answers to prayer uh, through the prayer ministry here. Uh, we've had some healings even in our own family, and so uh, if you feel the prayer team will be over there as we close in worship. So let's stand as we honor God as we close.